0: to my
1: Is the it, wrestling is out, the, out, Siders is Siders
2: out, pod, is
0: out. Here are your hosts. Here are your hoes. Here are your Emerson are Emerson. Hopes.
1: New edition of the Wrestling Outsiders oh. podcast. I am your host, the one and only Emerson Whitner, joined as always by my co host, my brother, Brian Whitner. Brian, how are you doing this evening?
2: Oh, I'm super tired, Emerson, like always. But
1: that's well, me. Brian, I've got a surprise for you because on the other yeah. line, we've also ah. got our guest for the night. We have from WrestleCrap.com the one and only. Art O'Donnell. Art, how are you hey, doing this evening? evening?
3: Uh yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing good, yeah. You know, just relaxing <laughs> it's on it. Yeah. We we <laughs> don't figured have to you know not the for work or anything, you know. I'm a teacher, so oh, I got the summer off.
1: <laughs> so the three of us are gonna do King of the Ring ninety four and then much, much later on tonight I'm gonna be winging it, doing myself a review of the new episode of Tough Enough, which, as we're recording, hasn't even aired yet. But by the time you're listening to me, it'll have aired. And you'll nice. heard many people complain about it already. <laughs> uh, uh, tough, but-
3: tough, Hi, Art. Hello. 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 Season's greetings. Yes, the now, season, 4th of July season, yeah. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. It is the season and all it's the season and all. um art for those of, oh, art. those people out there who may not know who you are uh tell the world who are you
3: well i am art o'Donnell not my real name but uh yeah i uh, write for ruffle crop i also have my own blog at blogspot dot com let me it's art zero donnell that's a r t zero D O double L dot blogspot dot com uh, that's where I review old episodes of Raw, starting from the beginning, all the way back in 1993. Right now I'm in 1997, and they've just gone to two hours. So, uh, see, yeah, it's a bit of an undertaking.
1: You know, I'll have to ask you in about, I don't know, six months, to see what your thoughts are. I still think 1997 was a very overrated year for Raw. I mean, they had that really great Steve Austin versus Canada rivalry, but other than that, I just thought it was still total crap.
3: Yeah, so far I'm in uh, just about at WrestleMania, and uh, it's a weird transition period. It's got mixtures of yes, tape shows, and I just watched the uh, Berlin episode.
1: Oh, wow, that crappy sure. one. They had a great main event, but other than that, the show just looked horrible. And I think in a few weeks is that show that like half of it's taped in Indiana and half of it's taped in like Kuwait. I think, and it was so horrible what? that Vince. Yeah, and it was so horrible that Vince McMahon put Vince Russo on the writing team. Well, yeah, they were uh, exactly.
3: they were doing a lot of mixed uh, taped and live segments, especially in late '96, trying to compete with Nitro. But they were still taping four episodes uh, every month in one night, so they would mix in live segments like Austin breaking into Brian Bellman's house and things like that.
1: Yeah. But of course, we're not going to be talking about that so much tonight. Instead, it's the show with the worst commentary team until Michael Cole became the lead announcer on Raw. It's the King of the Ring 1994. And Now, the real man, Art Donovan, is a lot of things. He's an NFL Hall of Famer. He's a five-time Pro Bowl player. He was a member of the NFL... Five Five times, five times. Five times, five times, five times, five times, He was a member of the NFL 50th Anniversary All-Time Team. He was a decorated Marine taking part in World War II, a member of the U.S. Marine Corps Sports Hall of Fame, a frequent guest on The Late Show with David Letterman, and once appeared on The Adventures of Pete and Pete. And he is also one of the worst guest commentators in the history of wrestling.
2: Uh,
1: he I was working with... It... Well, go on.
2: I, I, feel, I feel that's putting it nice, that he was one of the worst commentators of all time. He was the worst commentator. Adam Lee really did a better job than he did.
1: Well, I was thinking of WrestleMania too when they had Susan St. James and Elvira. And, yeah. And uh, that other girl yeah. in Chicago, I can't think of her name. And those were horrible.
2: No,
1: no, I think well, take out Art. Now, Don- yeah. even if you take out Art Donovan, though, this wasn't a stellar broadcasting team as you had Gorilla Monsoon and Randy Savage, who, other than Todd Pettengill, may have been the only two announcers left in the company at this point because uh, J.R. was fired, uh, Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene were long gone, uh, Vince McMahon wasn't even at the show, he uh, had neck surgery and was preparing for his federal trial, and Jerry Lawler was in the main event, so they literally had nobody else to do the show.
3: Um, I was uh, uh, was backstage with the Corb King of the Ring board Uh,
1: and to make things better of course we get the opening of the show which features this gem from good old gorilla
0: Raise
1: the uh, and thus, you f- you found your name from that.
3: Yes, and uh, you know, if it weren't for that, I would have to pick something else. Maybe Whale well and Mercy's hands. That's my brother's handle in the uh, No Mercy N64 mod community. Uh, old school <laughs> review. Yeah, he's, he's Whale well and Mercy's hands.
1: Mark Henry's baby. You know,
3: The young hands.
1: Yeah, something like that. Uh, well, there was so,
3: actually uh, there was actually something before that uh, intro, and that was the national anthem, uh, which for some reason they brought in this guy from Blackfoot, who had no connection to Baltimore or anything. I, I've never really heard of him, and he wasn't that great a singer. But uh, it's it's uh, documentation on pay per view of the tradition in Baltimore of saying "Oh" in the national anthem to go with the Orioles. That's been a tradition for a number of decades.
1: I just remember at the time, both WWF and WCW were always bringing in these random singers that you, for the most part, most people had never heard of, uh, to sing the national anthem during, during these 1990s pay-per-views.
2: Yeah. 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 Mine, go figure. They couldn't find anyone good. It was the 90s. Go figure.
1: Well, is it any better or worse though. than hearing Lillian do it every month or every year for WrestleMania? I guess.
3: Well, they didn't bring in the DX band yet, so we can't say oh, that... much.
1: No, you're right. The DX band that was just something.
2: I I saw that. Like I I think Emerson didn't you post something on Facebook with them doing that? Yes,
1: I just posted that performance.
3: Yeah, that was absolutely horrible. Only in America can you find this kind of freedom of expression," says Jr. So when your highest praise possible is that it is not technically illegal, you know you've got problems yes. with the national anthem.
1: Now the Sorry. thing with the King of the Ring '94 was a lot of the wrestling was not necessarily bad. Like up and down the show was a lot of it. At worst, decent wrestling. I think the worst match. May have been either the main event or the Mabel match, and at least the Mabel match was kept short enough to uh, be inoffensive. Um, the first match, Razor and Bam Bam, um, and Art was already off on a uh, tangent early, uh, having no idea who Luna Vashon was and why she was at ringside. Um, he thought that Razor was dead when Bam Bam put him in a torture rack. And, uh, but he did not ask
3: how much anybody weighed yet.
1: No, I, I, I was quite stunned. You know, Bam Bam's a big guy. I think you'd at least say, how much does that guy weigh? Well, I, I didn't do that very well. Let me go to art for this one.
0: How, how, how much does this guy weigh? About 350, 360.
1: Um, <laughs> And uh, the finish, Bam Bam went up for the moonsault, but Razor yanked him down and then uh, pinned him with a schoolboy.
3: I've never seen before or since a top-rope schoolboy. So there's one for the record books.
1: No, no, I never saw, we'll get to it in a minute, but IRS uh, hugged the ropes to win his match. And honestly, I don't know how Mabel would have been unable to kick out from that. Yeah, you, or,
3: you mentioned a uh, out. Uh, you mentioned um which was the worst match, IRS or Ma- and Mabel or the main event. The main event also featured some really uh unconvincing struggles to kick out.
1: True. But we'll get
3: to that later, uh,
1: right? Oh yeah. Uh backstage IRS and Mabel had a face to face interview and Mabel swore that IRS would never pin him. Well, maybe he wasn't given the finish yet or something. I don't know. <clears throat> probably uh, not. We got IRS versus Mabel and this is where uh Art was really on fire with this one. Uh we started with uh, him asking Randy, "Is that who he's going to wrestle with all his clothes on?" And Randy's like, "No, he takes all that off." Oh good. Like, oh, good. It's like I I assume he meant Mabel's I don't know what you want to call his, what he was wearing, his robe, yeah, yeah. for lack of a better word, his dress, that's, I, mm-hmm. but, who, but who knows, and then he, now Mabel, of course, is the baby face, IRS is the heel, and we get the following fun exchange, how much does this guy weigh, 500 pounds plus, Art, well, well that's not fair, The the other fellow only weighs half the amount, Nice job, you know, putting over the heels at the disadvantage in this one.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a problem that would plague like. them. Um, and uh, '95 with Diesel as the uh, champion, everything's a David and Goliath story, except Goliath is the good guy. Yes,
1: yeah. and you know, no one hit Diesel with a rock or anything.
3: No, no, I'd, probably Brett would have won if he had. <laughs>
1: Or Neidhardt may have, because, uh, you know, he had he could shot put in an anvil quite far, so who knows uh, what he could have done with just a normal rock.
3: You know, he, they <laughs> never seemed to up with uh, Jim Neidhardt.
1: It's a shame. Hammer and anvil. Uh, Mabel, you know, for all of his faults, Mabel moved pretty good for such a big guy. You know, I didn't think he – he wasn't quite like Yokozuna, because Yokozuna was extremely – Agile, for oh, lack yeah. kind of and word his size. But Mabel wasn't too bad himself. Uh, the only part that really made me cringe was when he nearly killed IRS with a small package. Uh, the IRS, I don't even think, was able to kick out of it, but Mabel had to let go and roll over IRS's face to get out of the small package. <laughs>
3: well, it's better than uh, what his finisher would be in, like, 2006. Visagra. Oh God. So I, I think IRS got off easy with the uh, face sitting. Yeah.
1: True, it it could have been worse. He could have given him Visagra. Uh, the only time that ever worked was when Shelton Benjamin had his mom at ringside, and sh- and she just nearly had a heart attack watching viscera do that to her boy. Uh, yeah. On the finish, Mabel went to the second rope for some reason, so IRS shook it. Mabel uh, took a back bump, and IRS hugged the ropes and pinned Mabel in the process.
3: He was squeezing his leg pretty hard, although his shoulders were clearly not being held down.
1: No, no. not even close. Uh, And so IRS advances, and... I don't know if Irish just took a shower between matches, but when he came out for his next match, it's like maybe he just hadn't stopped sweating in the next hour because he was still soaked. Like, oh, he just went through a match backstage. Um, Tatanka and Owen Hart, uh, Art asked three separate times how much Tatanka weighed until he was finally informed. And uh, my theory is maybe Art... Uh, Art Donovan was a Jenny Craig sponsor, and he wanted to help the boys trim up.
3: Possibly, possibly. Well, you know, coming from football, uh, you got to know the stats. But I think uh, the announcers kind of brought them brought it on themselves because in that Mabel match, they kept saying Mabel over five hundred pounds. He was uh, just shy of a thousand, just shy of a ton, or whatever. <laughs> and then, so then Art Art asks how much he weighs and we got the 500 pounds plus, so that's not fair, that whole exchange. But from then on, Art was very, very curious about every single person's weight, whereas he didn't seem that concerned about Bam Bam in the first match.
1: And part of it, too, was I don't think he believed what he was being told, because when Randy told him that Tatanka weighed about 260, 270, Art's like, really? He said in a way that
3: this is the same announced team that uh, tried to put over the fake Undertaker is nearly seven feet tall when he was actually like 6'6". Six, six.
1: Yeah, that's bad. Well, Andre was like 6'9 or so. So it's, ex- they weren't exaggerating it any worse anyway. Uh, yeah.
3: Well, you know, they also late years later merged Andre and Big Show into the same person, at least Stephanie McMahon
1: did uh, recently. True, I, I still wish I saw those uh, photos of uh, Big Show and Stephanie hanging out when Stephanie was a baby or when she was a child. Uh, Suddenly in the middle of this match, and by the way, it was a pretty decent little match, but in the middle of it, we went backstage for a pull-apart brawl where Razor and IRS just could not wait like half an hour or so to have their match. They had to fight each other just then and there. Uh, this was the match where, uh, Gorilla Monsoon r- just started ignoring Art Donovan. Uh, and pretty much he ignored Art the rest of the show, except when Art would specifically ask Gorilla something and mention Gorilla by name. Uh, but this was when Gorilla just would talk over him when Art would start asking something stupid.
3: He actually said, um, and I quote, I couldn't hear you there, Art.
1: Yeah. I don't even remember what the uh, move was, but uh, yeah. Um, this was actually Tatanka's second televised pinfall loss in the two and a half years that he'd been in the company so far. Uh, Brian, can you tell me what his first televised pinfall loss was? Blue
2: uh, uh, Boga. Boga,
3: Borga, whatever
1: the heck it Borga, wasn't it? Yeah, Borga. Yep, Blue Borga. Now, uh, by yeah.
3: my count... By my count, I think this is his third. I, I'm trying to look back at what his second pinfall was. But since I, I was looking up all the, uh, I mean, I, I documented all the matches in 94. Let me see if I can figure out. I'll get back to that. Who, who Tatanka's Well, because I mean,
1: loss. he might have lost on a house show or something, but I think this was only a second televised loss. But either way,
3: what also I'm I'm trying to look up is um, what color tights was Razor wearing during that backstage brawl because he kept changing his tights for each match. Now was this brawl before he changed tights or after he changed tights? That's the pressing question right now.
1: Is it sad I didn't even notice he changed tights?
3: (laughs) You need to have a keen eye for fashion. Macho Man did that. Back
1: at uh, WrestleMania 4. Yeah, but they made it to be a big deal that, oh, look, he changed tights. And I don't think, did he change tights? I remember he always changed his robe, but I think he kept the same actual tights. Like, Elizabeth changed oh. her dress. Savage wow. at Mania 4.
2: No, Savage changed his tights. Every single hey, one.
1: sure? I can swear he only changed his yeah. robe.
2: Every single one. Does eh. Elizabeth match his? Uh, Tights, every single
1: one. I'll have to go back and rewatch that again. Go ahead.
2: Um go ahead. I dare anyway.
1: you. Art uh, did point out that a lot of Indians would be mad because Owen won this match. Uh, Taconko went for sunset flip. Owen blocked it and sat through. This was much better than the attempt I saw on the Paragon Pro Wrestling Show this past weekend which I'll complain about later. Uh that that show was just horrendous. But um we got uh the fourth and final quarter-final match of the night, Jeff Jarrett and the 123 kid, and Art of course was nice enough to point out how these two were both smaller than everybody else on the show.
2: Of course.
1: I do have to laugh that 123Kid was probably the best worker on this show whose last name wasn't Hart. And he had two matches totaling about seven minutes. And this first match with Jeff Jarrett is probably the best four-minute match you're ever going to see. Um, just yeah. really good. Uh, it was before Waltman had all of his neck problems. And Jarrett could always uh, hold his own when he's in the ring with someone who's uh, good at what they did.
3: You might be confusing that with the Hart match. The Owen Hart, one, two, three, good match. That's. Well, about I thought the Jarrett match was pretty good match. as well. But uh, I mean, it's no and Alicia Fox, but it was a pretty good five-minute match. Um, but uh, yeah, let me let me look up the times there.
1: I thought this one about four minutes. I thought that four and five is a big difference, but still. What did we talk about?
2: The um, 1 two, three kid Jeff Jarrett match?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that went 4 minutes and 39 seconds, and Owen Hart 1 2 3 kid went three thirty-seven. Yeah.
1: Okay, so it was a little off. So, uh, He had two matches for a combined eight minutes, and there were still, you know, probably the eight best minutes you're going to see in two matches. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, the finish uh, Jarrett, well, I wouldn't say it was at the same level as the as the two kid matches, but uh Jarrett went for the figure four kid used a small package uh to win, so Jarrett was pissed, and he uh went all Jerry Lawler on the kid, giving him three pile drivers and three middle rope fist drops after the match. yeah. The referees
3: had to step in, give them the the money signal with their hands, rubbing their fingers together. Mm.
1: (laughs) Now, part of the problem, too, was that they uh, did not really play up this at all later, or at least, I mean, they played it up, but the kid did not sell that injury at all. Uh, He just came out uh, and did his normal match like it never happened.
3: Uh, No, he, like, stumbled into the match. He was like a minute late getting
1: to the ring. Yeah, but once the bell rang though, it was like, you know, he didn't bother selling it. It was like, why'd you bother even doing it to begin with? Um, Brian and I were discussing this off the air. They uh, showed a new generation hype video comparing new WCW signee and 40-year-old Hulk Hogan to the Edsel and to uh, you know, things from back in the 20s, while we have the new generation with the main event of 39-year-old Roddy Piper versus 45-year-old Jerry Lawler, and we're about to see 37-year-old Bret Hart uh, defend the WWF Championship. And Yeah, you know, go
3: figure. Their, your main event consists of two guys who have been wrestling since the Beatles were still together. In fact, uh, Roddy Piper, I think, he started uh, before man had landed on the moon.
1: Wow. That's a few years. Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Up next, we got Diesel and Bret Hart for the WWF title. Diesel was the Intercontinental Champion at the time and had Shawn Michaels in his corner. So Bret and the whole storyline to this match was Bret was going to have a family member at his corner and ended up being brother-in-law Jim Neidhart. Um, now Shawn Michaels was nursing a bunch of injuries in 1994, uh, so looking back there was a reason why he didn't wrestle for so much, but it just seemed odd that after WrestleMania he just did not wrestle for most of the next six months. You
2: gotta heal up, that's why. Man's gotta heal.
1: Um, Honestly, the three Diesel matches with Bret Hart over the next year and a half were probably Kevin Nash's three best matches of his career, or at least three of the four or five best matches, and include the two Shawn Michaels pay-per-view matches. Um, And Bret did such a great job carrying Diesel that this ended up being one of those things that led to Vince putting the belt on Nash uh, a couple months later. And then they proceeded to have
3: them. face Sid every other month.
1: Yeah. Um, Shawn Michaels uh, went over to the broadcast table, and Art said that uh, if he comes after you, I'm liable to get undressed and go at it with him. And wow. Art Donovan was a, he was a big fan of uh, trying to get naked during the show. I think.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the, when Diesel beat Razor for the IC title, the key spot was Sean taking the turnbuckle pad off and Razor smashing into it. So they worked off of that, uh, but this time Brett blocked it and Diesel hit his head off the turnbuckle instead. Um, eventually, Brett went for the sharpshooter, but Sean got up on the apron to distract them. Uh, Diesel went for the jackknife, but Brett did a rolling Boston crab which he came so close to making it look a lot smoother. Uh, but it ended up being Landstorm's idea to just to a rolling half crab was a much better idea. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Uh, outside the ring, Neidhart at one point posted Diesel, so Sean hit Brett with a title belt. Um, actually, I got that backwards. Diesel posted Neidhart outside because um, Neidhardt was threatening to uh, hit Diesel and then turned his back for some reason, so Diesel threw him into the post. Um, Diesel hit the jackknife, but Neidhardt ran in, clotheslined Diesel causing a DQ and saving the belt for his brother-in-law before running away. And so Neidhardt runs run, away.
2: Anvil, run.
1: Yep. He runs away and, uh, the heels put the boots to Brett, uh, while the announcers were wondering why the hell Nighthard ran away.
3: And the great tragedy of this uh booking, although i think it worked well as we'll see later in the uh later in the broadcast, but they had to ha they couldn't have this match last. Meaning they had to put Roddy Piper and Jerry Lawler on last and have perhaps the worst main event up to that point.
1: Uh, Now, what also worked in this was the finish was Diesel hitting Brett with the jackknife and that's when Neidhart ran in for the uh, title saving DQ so you're left wondering, could Brett have kicked out of the jackknife and, you know, there was a story because uh, Anvil got you could say he got pissed because Sean wouldn't stop interfering on behalf of Diesel so it made sense. It wasn't just Neidhart interfering after twenty minutes just for the sake of interfering.
0: And
3: then he uh got out of there and never helped Brett, so he gotta wonder.
1: Yep. It
3: looked like a it looked like a plot hole, but they would actually follow, follow through on it.
1: I know. This is not two thousand and fifteen. This is nineteen ninety four, that even though they had some cheesy characters and some horrible wrestling they followed through on their storylines.
2: oh
1: yeah um let
2: me tell you Razor how Ramon versus fall?
1: IRS in... what was that
3: how much does that follow away
1: how much does he weigh probably 275 280 uh, uh Razor versus we... IRS in the semi-finals um, Before we
3: go any farther, uh it, it was uh, Yokozuna who defeated Tatanka the second time on the March to WrestleMania special. Ah. Yeah. So. Otherwise, if Tatanka had won, then he would have been in the main event against Lex Luger and Bret Hart.
1: And who would want to pay to see that? Not me. Well, Brian, I know that... Uh, you were seven years old at the time, and I know that you really chipped in on that pay-per-view for WrestleMania 10. I did? I did. Yeah. Wasn't that the
2: one at like four o'clock in the morning and at, in the afternoon for some reason?
1: Yeah, they used to do pay-per-views at times other than eight o'clock at night. It was at four in the afternoon. I think it was the last time they did that. Um, I thought so. I could be wrong, but I think it was the last time.
3: I watched the whole thing scrambled. At my grandmother's house.
1: We used to do that, and then they took away the channel where it scrambled on and put uh, either request or whatever pay-per-view channel it was where you didn't get the chance to do that anymore. I was
3: wondering, who is Lailani Kai, and what does she look like?
1: (laughs) Uh. You, You were better off not knowing.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, um, Razor and IRS in the semifinals. I thought their match at the Royal Rumble was better. Uh, This one was definitely shorter, so if you you don't like these two wrestling, this was probably the match for you since it only went five minutes. Um, Uh, It also
3: featured uh, on the way there perhaps IRS's worst promo ever, which is what happens when every single promo of yours is about pack sheets and you have to cut two in the same night. So he came down to the ring... Saying that uh, it's too bad that all the tax cheats in the arena didn't get to see Razor Ramon jump him from behind backstage and see what a and I quote uh, how he's nothing but a no good uh, fool's gold wearing tax fool tax cheat idiot.
1: Hmm. Wow. Well,
3: yeah.
1: What? Mike Rotundo really needed a second promo.
3: Yeah. Or else just have his uh, classic theme music play instead of having a promo. You know, the uh, typewriter sound?
1: Yes. That didn't last very long, did it? Like, I don't ever remember him using it, but I remember it was on the video game.
3: And then from then on, he used uh, DiBiase's theme
1: yeah uh, good they were,
3: cooperation uh, formed shortly thereafter
1: yeah um, and uh, there was an artism in this one, uh and it was more of a Randy making fun of him type thing where art said it's like missing the trap block, and Randy's like exactly like that, only completely different, and uh razor one in five minutes with a razor's edge There's nothing. Nothing terribly exciting about this. Just you know, it was it was there, and no one believed IRS was going to win. So, you know,
3: otherwise it'd be IRS versus One Two Three Kid in the main event, assuming yes. you have heel face. Oh, yeah, and also, yeah. if but if One Two Three Kid won, Randy Savage promised that he would stay in Baltimore an extra two and a half months and party,
1: hmm. and Art Donovan. Uh let him would let him use his house. Oh God. And I think uh once our Donovan promised he could go sleep at his house, if the booking was for kid to win, uh Randy probably pleaded with whomever was backstage to change it. Just so he didn't have to spend any more time with art after these three hours were up. <laughs> you know what Emerson,
2: I think you and I, you and I are definitely brothers because so I was gonna say the exact same thing that you just said, that the booking was gonna get changed.
1: So, <laughs> I always kind of wonder, like, especially after how bad this show was. Can you imagine the conversation that happened after the show went off the air? Like, I can't imagine Gorilla saying anything remotely positive. Like, even it was nice to work with you. Anything like that, and
3: <laughs> and you've got to wonder who exactly was this this announcing choice for because you, you got to think. Anybody who would enjoy this would have to live in Baltimore. And lots of people who would have ordered the show instead went to the live event and they were in the audience. They couldn't hear the announcing. So you have a show with like fewer Baltimoreans watching than any other pay per view they'd ever done. And they stick Art Donovan
1: on commentary. Oh, boy. Yeah. You hear me? Maybe they were trying to get David Letterman to listen because, you know, Donovan was one of his favorite guests, but I think David Letterman has a lot of better things to do on a random Sunday in June. Yeah, like Bash at the Beach? But did Letterman ever
0: do that?
3: No, but uh, well, uh, that was uh, when Hulk Hogan debuted over the old Hulk Hogan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that same Hogan month. Hogan debuted a month later, and the governor of Maryland talks about how he was a big Hulk Hogan fan I on WWF paper. When you stick
3: a live microphone
1: in, in someone's face who's not in on it. Genius. Uh, Owen Hart versus the One Two Three kid. Um, kid. Like I said, outside of, you know, kind of not limping to the ring, but outside of kind of selling it on his way to the ring, uh, they just ignored the whole injury angle from the previous match and had a really good four minutes of wrestling, because it was the three minutes of wrestling that I wrote. Uh, Randy pulled over yeah, well, Donovan and used my favorite phrase during a pay-per-view, in case you just joined us. And who <laughs> tunes in 90 minutes into a pay-per-view? I don't know.
3: Well, my favorite parts of this were the, uh, the first spot where you see one, two, three kid just limping towards the ring, and as soon as he gets to the ring, Owen Hart just rocks him with a drop kick or a baseball slide, takes him out completely. And then later on, Brandy Savage is is saying you got to give once he's repaid credit, but you also got to give Owen Hart a, a little bit of credit. Not a lot, not a little bit of credit. A lot, a little bit of credit. Uh, th-
1: th- th- this was quite the broadcast team. I don't even think. Like, Art Donovan was bad, like, bad enough that Jim Ross couldn't even have helped him, but it was made worse that he was with basically the two worst announcers in the company, you could argue. Like, Savage, by default, Savage was probably the best commentator of the three, and that wasn't really saying a whole lot. No. Definitely not. Um, Owen for, uh, purposes of everyone knowing what happened, Owen won with the sharpshooter and moved yeah. on to the finals. I, <laughs> I know everyone was expecting a face-versus-face main event, but we didn't get it.
3: Damn. Oh, oh, God. You know, they'd have the story in there, you know, raised here in 1-2-3 kit, but at least they didn't have heel-versus-heel. It doesn't ever work out.
1: It's actually funny, because even as a kid, you know that they're never going to do a heel versus heel match. So I remember King of the Ring 96, Vader was my pick, and the first match was Mark Merrill versus Steve Austin. And as soon as Austin won, I got so mad, because I knew that meant Vader was going to (laughs) lose. And looking back, I think they made off better with Austin winning. Yeah, I could be I wrong, but do. I think, yeah, I think it worked out pretty good for the WWF in the long run. Yeah, yeah the, well, the, the, I mean,
3: then they they stuck him in the free for all and had him face Yokozuna and sort of sat him out for the next few months. Really, well, they 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 had him like tread water, but I think that yeah. whole uh, Austin three sixteen business where like launches his career, and I think it's overrated.
1: Mostly hype. It is, it's nice to look back at and say that was the time when he became, he was put on the road to becoming a star, I guess.
3: Honestly, I never even heard of uh, Austin 316 until like six months later when I had lost cable and and couldn't watch wrestling anymore. I started seeing people in these shirts, but they never brought it up on uh, TV, and maybe they brought it up once. So if you missed the pay-per-view, you know, it's not like they, from then on, made that his catchphrase.
1: Uh, Steve Austin benefited, like like pretty much every wrestler ever has. But uh, Steve Austin got a lot of lucky little breaks. Like he got the King of the Ring because Hunter did the curtain call. He got, uh, he got the feud with Bret more because Bret wanted to work with a great worker coming back. He got WrestleMania with Bret because Shawn Shawn lost his smile. He won the Royal Rumble the first time because Vince Russo went on live television and predicted that Bret Hart was going to win. And that was the, uh, that was who was supposed to win that year. And they freaked out on him about it. And so many little things. And it all worked out for him in the end, I guess. And now, because there's no other top name, he gets to be on the cover of the video game.
3: Also, you know Ahmed Johnson was supposed to take the title at WrestleMania 14. Well, okay, I made that part up, but the rest of the stuff <laughs> you you mentioned was true. <laughs>
1: it's funny. I used to love Ahmed Johnson, and and not until I was older I didn't realize just how bad his promos were. I just accepted them just for what they were. When I was a kid, how I Man. don't know how. Uh, head shrinkers defending the tag we got the most random tag team title challengers ever head shrinkers versus Yokozuna and Crush now Brian you may be wondering why we had such a random tag team title challenger
2: oh you know I always uh, expect you to bail me out of things that I think are weird so I don't want to break that habit
1: well it's actually quite simple They had no other tag teams in the company, I don't think, because the Steiners had already left, the Quebecers had left, and Mo was injured, so they couldn't do men on a mission. So literally, they had had to make a makeshift tag team because no one else was there. And then,
3: of course, Diesel and Sean ended up taking the titles later. Not uh, a very well-established team.
1: Actually, now that you brought up Diesel and I just remembered the Smoking Guns, I guess, could have gotten it, but it would have been two teams.
3: And then later on, like, uh, Royal Rumble 95, you'd see all these... You'd see lots of tag teams in the Rumble. They just happened to be, like, the worst tag teams there were. Both Bushwhackers were in the 95 Rumble. Uh, well and Dunn were both in the Royal Rumble. The Heavenly Brothers,
1: Bodies were in... and Blue Twins. That Royal Rumble, Wasn't oh, that,
2: man. Wasn't that like, one of your Was that one of your questions for Trump Emerson? What? Oh Yeah, name every
1: person ex- in the Royal Rumble. I no.
2: We we used no. to do a trivia
1: segment <laughs> where Brian would ask me a random question, and I had to stop it because his random questions were he'd ask me a question with like fifty answers and expect me to tell them all to him. And I yeah, just, and you told me them all. Yeah, well, I'd tell them them all, but it'll take fifteen minutes. Oh God! To
2: spread the show out, and I, I to Damn
1: it! Uh, so back to this, I think Art Donovan thought that the show was finishing up because
0: This is for the, the big first one. Two mi-
1: yeah, he kept saying over and over again, "This is it. This is it," and uh. This match was, the theme of the show was all right, nothing to write home about. Uh, The finish saw Lex Luger come out, who was feuding with Crush. He stood in the aisle, uh, which distracted Crush. And in 2015 eyes, Samu rolled up Crush for a pinfall. But in 1994, Crush kicked out. And instead, fought two, pinned him with a super kick. And Lex
3: Luger came in with his uh looked like clown pants, spandex with blue, red, white, and
1: blue candy stripes. And I'm I'm sure Vince was thrilled that he spent all that money to get over Lex as the next American hero, and Art Donovan had no idea who he was. Even after like a minute,
3: a solid minute of exposition by Randy and and uh, Gorilla about who Lex Luger was and why he. He feuded with Crush And why he was there Lex Luger, Lex Luger, Lex Luger R. Donovan still says Who's the, the fellow with the American flag?
1: I don't know what R. Donovan was doing During this show But paying attention to what was going on around him Appeared to not be it Because no. he didn't listen to a single ring announcement He didn't listen to his Colleagues You know, whatever they were saying It was just Whatever came off of his head at any given time, uh, somebody compared it to Grandpa Simpson, and that's a that's a really good comparison.
3: And uh, also noteworthy, this match, I think, as far as I know, it's, it's the only match in WWF history to have four people from the Pacific Islands, or who are at least built from the Pacific Islands, and also mm-hmm. to have four managers at ringside.
1: And not be a Survivor Series match. I'm sure, you know, back in the 80s, I'm sure there were four managers or whatever outside. But, yeah, just in a normal tag match like this, yeah. Because they had Captain Lou out there, because, you know, why not? And off uh, Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. You know, Vince really is a softie for, like, these old beaten-down wrestlers sometimes. Like, how long was Captain Lou on the payroll How long was Fuji on the payroll long after he was useful to the company? And, yeah.
3: Again, as this was a a four uh, Pacific Islander match, we got some rare opportunities to test exactly how hard the stereotypical uh, Samoan wrestlers' heads were. Um, I believe Crush went down from a double head shrinker elbow, because Crush... I believe is Caucasian, but he's from Hawaii, so he doesn't have the hard head, according to wrestling logic. But Yoko took a double headbutt, and, but he stayed on his feet, and then he took another double headbutt and went down.
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we said the finish, and the Head Shrinkers kept the titles, and they had I don't want really to say a lackluster title run, but they had a very forgettable title run. Um, memorable of a lot of the title runs of the early to mid-2000s where people would hold the belts for four or five months and you'd forget they ever held the belts because you never see them do anything. Uh, that led to simultaneously Owen Hart's worst match of the night and Razor Ramon's best match of the night, uh, the finals of the King of the Ring, Owen and Razor. And, uh, Brian, why did you Facebook me now just telling me I suck? Yeah,
2: shits and giggles.
1: Okay, that's good to know. So, for shits and giggles, Brian, tell us about Owen Hart and Razor Ramon. Oh, God. Really? You guys are doing such a good job. Well, you have notes there. Read some of them. No, you guys are doing a good job. Here's the good work. Uh huh. So, Art Donovan, who was cheering for Razor the entire show because he was the person that he was told to cheer for, suddenly, while Razor, by the way, was in control of the match, decided that Razor was going to lose the tournament.
3: Well, yeah, you know, he wasn't even and, sure who Razor was until midway through the first match.
1: Yes. Oh, that's my guy, Razor.
3: Like, uh, that, the that, guy with him. the
1: giant razor written on his the front of his pants and yeah it, 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 who knew who that was right I had no and idea. As, uh,
3: as my Russell cropp colleague Paul the Big Cheese Craft pointed out that razor is uh, probably drug paraphernalia
1: you know used to cut it, up the cocaine oh, yeah it makes sense
3: He's. I mean he's not like some guy who really likes to shave. Otherwise, it would have been no, well no, a had
1: Either laugh Scott Hall. They were so short of minorities that in 1994, Scott Hall was their token Hispanic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> also, oh, you know, you know, it's a he's a character based on a movie character, sort of like Waylon Mercy based on uh, on Cape Fear. Yeah. So you have, and, and those two, Dan Spivey and Scott Hall, used to be tag team partners, American Starship. So you have one guy who has an Al Pacino character and another guy who has a, uh, what's his name? Uh,
1: um,
3: uh, Robert De Niro character.
1: Can't think of his name either. Robert De Niro. Oh, De Niro, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... By the way, uh, sort of speaking of uh, Cape Fear and Waylon Mercy, when Bray Wyatt debuted in NXT way back when, he was a lot more Waylon Mercy-ish than he became. And
3: I'd complain, but I really, really wanted Waylon <clears throat> to stick around. He just danced five. He was too injured.
1: So, you know, any
3: opportunity to bring in Waylon Mercy.
1: There you go. Um, so, like we said, this was... Uh, At least in my opinion. It was Owen's worst match, but Razor's best match of the night, which just shows the quality of the two workers in general. Uh, The finish, uh, Razor went for the Razor's Edge, but Owen backdropped him out of the ring when Jim Neidhart randomly ran down to help out Razor. But, of course, he picked up Razor, and in the biggest swerve of all time, he gave Razor Ramon a clothesline and threw him into the post. Yeah, and uh, Owen hit a top rope elbow and won the King of the Ring.
3: And that ended the show, right?
1: We wish it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, The story, of course, being that Neidhardt was there to make sure Brett kept the belt, so now Owen could beat him for the title. And, of course, this being 1994, when all heels were friends and all babyfaces were friends, if Diesel won the title, Owen wouldn't have been able to go face Diesel for it. He would have had to wait until a babyface won it. That well,
3: was pretty hmm. presumptuous. I mean, pretty presumptuous of Neidhart. There was no guaranteed uh, title shot then from King of the Ring. In fact, there, there wouldn't True. be until 2002. But, uh, um, they only also, really
1: did the guaranteed title shot once, I believe, for the uh yeah. for when Lesnar won it. Um and it makes you wonder, like in storyline, what was the conversation Jim Neidhart had with Brett? It's like, yeah, uh, that he's like they have this plan mm-hmm. that Owen and Neidhart have this plan to get the title off Brett, but Neidhart needs to get into the company, so he's like, Yeah, I'll go talk to Brett and he'll bring me in to be in his corner for one night and we'll go from there and you know, <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, this was exciting. where
3: Owen pre- uh, ignoring the fact that Brett had beaten and would continue to beat Owen every single night on house shows from WrestleMania till Summerslam.
1: Oh, yeah. However, you know the one thing though I'll say, and people always talk about how they wish was go back to the old days where house shows were the big important thing. Brian and I lived in the middle of nowhere and we're like two hours away from anywhere WF would have ever thought about running a house show in. So pay-per-views were the best thing to ever happened to us. Okay. Definitely. So we didn't know Owen lost 65 straight matches building up SummerSlam. We just knew he beat him once.
3: And That's all that mattered.
1: Yep. Um, this was when Owen pretty much uh, dropped the rocket as his nickname, I don't think he ever used it again. He may have just sparingly, but at this point, he became the king of hearts and stayed that way for as long as I could remember until, like, 96, 97, when he won the Slammies. Hmm. Um, the Slammy award-winning Owen Hart. Yeah. Uh, Jack Tunney, the it's greatest the president of all time, uh, did one of his one of his last uh, appearances ever on pay per view? Uh, he was supposed to give Owen his crown, but Owen uh, had Nighthawk do it instead. And
3: well, uh was- I, I have a, a very important detail to uh, mention—a correction. Razor Ramon did not change his tights; he wore the same purple tights the whole night. I must have been ah. confused. I apologize.
1: It's it okay. happens. Forget it it's not hey, we didn't pick up on it and neither did the announcers if it had happened, so you know, if you were told us it happened, great. Uh so then we got the last match of the evening, which yeah. The Governor Budweiser, you know, may have been the highlight of the whole match. Uh, either that or the kid doing the Roddy Piper impersonation. One of the two. 'Cause other than that, this match just blew and
3: Piper uh Piper One lots of punching, lots and lots of goofy spots, windmill punches and uh the old um heel gets a foreign object out of his tights. Every cheap vaudeville type trick you could you could imagine. It's like uh in The Wrestler where Randy the Ram and uh, and the Ayatollah are talking, and Randy asks them, so are you going to go over the spots? And Ayatollah uh, Ernest Miller says, okay, here are the spots. I'm the heel, you're the face. Pretty much what this, this match was. You had the, the baby face who was fighting for the children, and if he won, he'd give his money to the children's hospital. And you have the heel who hated the face and the children for no reason. Just mm-hmm. uh,
1: like... When when he talked about he was going to donate a percentage of his winnings to the Children's Hospital, I Mm. thought of the episode of The Simpsons uh, where they said that a certain percentage was recycled material. And Lisa's like, what percentage? They're like, zero. Zero is a percent.
3: I'm astonished, looking back, that that Gorilla Monsoon did not say the phrase winner's share of the purse money on this whole event, even though it was the perfect opportunity, Joe.
1: I I was also surprised at no point did he say that insert babyface here would never submit to this vicious submission hold. That'll
3: that'll give you a real negative attitude. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And that was the show. Uh, Piper won with a...
3: Yeah, you you left out the the big finish, of course, because Jerry Lawler was pinning Roddy Piper with his feet on the ropes. And he was a he wasn't even touching Roddy Piper actually, but Roddy Piper had to struggle to pre- to pretend that this non-existent pressure was was keeping the shoulders down. And the referee counted it at like a one mile an hour. The, the kid made the save, pushed Jerry his feet off. Then Roddy did the uh, the back suplex, the belly to back suplex, and got another pinfall. Counted at one mile an hour. And by then, everybody was asleep. With
1: with the other worst cradle of all time. And Jared Lawler should be ashamed that he couldn't kick out of that.
2: I would be. I could kick
3: out
1: Mm of that. So, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. What do you give the show?
3: I say thumbs up. The match quality, on average was well, about average. There uh if if you were watching these matches on Shuffle on an iPod or something, I don't think such technology exists, but maybe it does, you would skip through the uh the main event, but I think you would you would sit through the other ones.
1: I would go thumbs in the middle leaning up if like if you can enjoy the most absurd commentary of all time. This is a must-see show. If a bad commentary pisses you off, don't ever watch this show, but if you can accept it for what it is, it's like a I'll-see-it-just-for-the-sake-of-watching-every-show-ever type thing, but if you don't watch it, you really didn't miss anything too noteworthy.
3: If a heart is in the match, you should watch it. The others are optional.
1: I'm saying there are four of them with someone named Hart. That's forty percent of the show right there. Yeah. Brian, what's your uh, opinion on it?
0: I
2: agree with you, Emerson. Thumbs in the middle, going up. All
1: righty, well, you know, Brian. Well, next I week we- we're gonna have Paul Gertner on the show.
3: I'm excited. Did you say no. Joel Gertner? Yes. Uh yeah, the uh quintessential stud muffin.
1: Of course. I know. And you well, know, speaking I think of we can guests. All agree starts...
3: At least we can uh, at least agree that this was better than King of the Ring nineteen ninety five.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh when we eventually do our bad WWF pay per view month, we're totally reviewing that.
2: Yes, please.
1: Uh, and so, as we start to wrap things up with you here, um give you one big uh, chance here now to plug everything again. Uh, if you have a Facebook or Twitter you want people to follow, uh, knock yourself out and throw them out now.
3: All right. Well, of course, I have Facebook like everybody else. It's how much does this guy weigh? I have a blog, zero com. That's art 0 D O N N E L L, haha, dot blogspot dot com. And I also write for Wrestlecraft. So every other week, alternating with the great R.D. Reynolds, I induct a piece of the worst of wrestling. That's Thursday nights at 8, is when new inductions go up.
1: Any uh, hints on what it's going to be this week?
3: Uh, it comes from WCW in 1999.
1: Uh, and I think also, dogs um, have been inducted. So that was the first thing well, I thought of.
3: L- let me just say this. It has nothing to do with Batista, but basketballs do not hold grudges. So Dennis has, Rodman versus
1: Randy Savage at Road Wild.
3: No, it has to do with what looks to be basketballs, possibly under a huh. woman's shirt.
1: I'm sure what if I thought about this? it, for, I'm sure if I thought about it for two minutes, I could think of it. But at some point, you guys really also got to do that world title tournament from '99, when out of 31 matches, 29 of them ended in interference. But
3: uh well, you know, I only want the WCW stuff to, R, uh, to uh, RD because he literally wrote the book on bad WCW content.
1: I'd say quite literally. I've got two versions of it in my uh, uh, cabinet here. All right, well, uh, we do want to thank you so much for doing our show this week, and, you know, thanks for sticking around through all the technical difficulties that we've had this evening, and so take care.
3: All right, thank you very much.
0: It's a competition in a class by itself. Starrcade 88, True Grit. The biggest, baddest wrestling event of the year. Now available on video cassette. Witness over two hours of thrilling, heart-stopping action. It's an eye for an eye when sizzling hot sting tags up against the awesome might of the road warriors. And now... Bam Bigelow gets his shot at the U.S. heavyweight title and the self-confident Barry Windham. Plus, dog-faced gremlin Rick Steiner struggles for his honor and the world TV title against former teammate Mike Rotunda. The Midnight Express with Jim Cornette and the original Midnight Express with Paul E. Dangerously fight for supremacy in a raging grudge match. And Steve Dr. Death Williams tags up with Gamesmaster Kevin Sullivan in an intense duel with the Fantastics for the U.S. Tag Team Championship. And the ultimate five-time world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy, Rick Flair, collides with Total Package Lex Luger in a powerful NWA World Heavyweight Championship matchup that may never again be repeated. Plus, much, much more. You won't want to miss a minute of this historic first-class competition, Starcade 88 True Grit. Reserve your ringside seat by ordering this action-packed video cassette today.
1: Welcome back to the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast. Emerson here by myself because Brian's dropped off the face of the earth in the past 48 hours or so. Uh, So I'm here. I'm going to talk about Tough Enough. I'm also going to go through the debut of Paragon Pro Wrestling on Pop from this past weekend. And uh, we'll wrap things up from there. Um, In case uh, you missed my very quick comment, next week it is confirmed um, on this very podcast. We will be joined by the quintessential stud muffin, Joel, insert crude nickname here, Gertner. And uh, that's going to be next Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, I also want to note, by the way, that uh, during uh, the opening hour of the show, I went back and uh, scanned WrestleMania 4 quickly. Randy Savage, he changed his tights, but he didn't change it four times. He changed them twice. Uh, Well, he had two pairs of trunks that he changed back and forth from. He had his bright red trunks, and he had his uh, pink trunks. So while he did keep changing, it wasn't like he was using four different pairs. Um, And he was, in fact, changing his robe each time, uh, as opposed to his entire outfit. So Tough Enough. Remember when Tough Enough was 30 minutes long on MTV? Wasn't that so much better? Remember when they did actual in-ring wrestling training on Tough Enough? That was even so much better. (sighs) So I'm convinced that Daniel Bryan, Paige, and Hulk Hogan literally wear the same exact outfit every week. It's not even like this is a reality show where they encourage them to wear the same thing all the time so they could take snippets throughout the show and try to edit together uh, cleverly and saying that it was the same episode. No, these are every week. It's a brand-new episode, and uh, that's live on USA, and they're all three are wearing the same exact outfit. Um, the theme of this show was that it's not Survivor, no matter how much the people in it would like it to be, I guess, because Patrick was going on and on about eliminating Tanner from the contest, which I still have no idea how he going to do that. And uh, later on, the girls were talking about teaming up, and taking out the other girls. Still don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, we opened the show with Diana pissing off every person who sent in a videotape, all 11,000 or so who sent in a videotape and never got called back. Diana went ahead and quit the contest. After three weeks, she had to go home and plan her wedding. Um, the story is, um, I guess she had... Actually, some family issues as well. So it wasn't just that she went home to uh, plan her wedding. But, you know, it's over with. Diane has gone. I believe that next week they replace her with um, the girl that was Daniel Bryan's physical therapist when WWE very, very briefly did their own Claire Lynch storyline last year. And they brought her out, Uh, Megan Miller, who was Lance Storm's student, they brought her out to uh, say that she slept with Daniel Bryan behind Brie Bellows' back Um, and then was never seen again until next week, apparently. But we'll wait till then. Um, Billy Gunn woke everybody up at the crack of 6 a.m. to go on another run. Once again, Tanner won. And once again, everyone bitched about how Tanner wasn't really that good, despite the fact he keeps winning. We then spent the next 30 minutes with the, most, with the ridiculous contest of the week. This time, they all got taken into a prop house and were told to go pick out uh, absurd props to match a random character that they've been assigned. And I'll get into my ranting later about it. But they were basically told, you know, put, to take these absurd props and, you know, make your costume based on this character that you're pulling out of a hat. Um, Seth Rollins arrived. He, uh, The girls didn't wet themselves like they did for Roman Reigns last week. But they still, you know, gave Seth his props for being a good-looking dude. Um, And Seth actually lasted about three minutes. Unlike Roman, uh, who was on for a minute last week, Seth uh, made it three times as long. That's why Seth is the world champion and Roman isn't. He can go three minutes. Um, So after a whole bunch of costume shopping, for lack of a better word, we went into the arena where each person had to get dressed up in their outfit and uh, do a little entrance at the WWE Performance Center. Um, Going through each of them here, Uh, Sarah Lee, the girl that looks like Caitlyn, she was supposed to be the Queen of Mean, but she couldn't find a crown that fit her head, so she was walking to the ring, twirling the tiara around her arm. Um, Honestly, I thought she was trying to be Paige, but the fact is Sarah Lee can't stop smiling, and she actually started laughing the second that her music ended. So can you imagine her on Raw being told, go out there and be this horrible, evil person? And she goes out there and just starts laughing. Um, I didn't get everyone's name for some reason, but we had someone who was the British brawler. He looked more like he was trying to be Camacho, uh, of Hunico and Camacho fame. Daria was the fallen angel, and... The whole point of this was she was gesticulating in an angel's outfit. Uh, I just hope Christopher Daniels was not watching tough enough. Tanner, Seth Rollins. Oh, by the way, Seth Rollins and Tanner were never actually on screen together, but they both uh, made a comment on their little interview uh, that people think they look like each other. Um, Anyway, Tanner was supposed to be Wild Man Wayne, but he looked more like Luke Harper. Uh, Gabby was supposed to be a farmer's daughter, but she's Brazilian and had no idea what that was supposed to mean, so she, uh, just wore her normal outfit, but wore fishnets, which somehow got her through the next round. Um, Patrick is supposed to be evil, so he got sunglasses and he borrowed Lita's dog, and so everyone gave him points for kissing up and and, uh, using Lita's dog as a prop. Um, Amanda was a Barbie doll, and, you know, she looked the part of a Barbie doll. She's, whole point is, she's blonde, she's supposed to be pretty, and, yeah, so she did her job. Um, uh, Mata, dressed like an Egyptian, which isn't hard, since he is Egyptian. And Georgia, uh, was supposed to be an evil, bossy bitch, and so she wore a business suit, and she had her, her Stephanie McMahon, and actually, because all the other contestants were, standing around the ring uh, when Georgia walked down. Instead of going on the other side like everyone else did, she walked right up to them, walked down the apron, and kind of kicked her heels back like she was blowing dirt in their faces. Finally, we get the controversial moment of the show. ZZ was the American hero. And now the whole point of this contest was to be a character and to be just this absurd person. I can't think of any better way to say it, but, you know, so Zizi's out there. He's got his uh, little red, white, and blue shorts, and, well, they were very tight, and the I, the whole point of the show was, was ZZ stuffing the front of his shorts because his bulge was quite noticeable the whole time. He went in the ring. He did the Rick Rude hip uh, gyrations, um, I honestly couldn't believe they let him on TV like that. I find out later they let him on TV twice like that. But anyway, the whole point of this is to be a total complete ass, basically. And so Billy Gunn and Booker T yelled at him for being an ass. Uh, Booker asked how he would look compared to Seth Rollins and Randy Orton. Randy Orton and Seth Rollins weren't taken to a fucking costume shop and told to dress like a fucking dork, okay? I bet if they fucking had to dress like that and had an hour to put together a stupid fucking costume, I bet they wouldn't look that great either. Okay? So don't yell at the fucking dude for doing for doing his best to do your stupid fucking contest. What this what the fuck does this have to do with wrestling? Nothing. Okay. I'm waiting for the day on Raw when they announce that, you know, John Cena, he's got an hour to piece together. A ridiculous costume that he's not aware of he has to do ahead of time, and then he's got to go and com- do a completely batshit different uh, entrance than he normally does, and supposed to get over this stupid new character. Hell, when they uh, had John Cena suspended, or not suspended, he was fired, and uh, he had Juan seen on the road, he was basically John Cena wearing a fucking mask. He didn't even attempt to do anything different. But, yeah. So Patrick won, and uh, of course was gloating the entire show about how much better he is than Tanner now that he won this completely ridiculous and completely pointless contest. Zizi was sad about this, and he's mad and sad about being misunderstood. Everyone told him off. Uh, Zizi defended himself for being great, saying that. Uh, you know, he's happy that some people are laughing or they're laughing at him or with him. It doesn't matter. They're laughing. Um, Gabby and Sarah Lee are now teaming up to win and want to eliminate the other girls. This still isn't Survivor. And then we got Tanner and Patrick having their pissing matches, and so they got into a pushing. Uh, uh, they got They started pushing and shoving each other, so all the producers had to break it up. And literally, that was it. It was like 37 minutes into the show, and we go live to uh, Full Sail University for 20-plus minutes live. Um, Daniel Bryan made fun of Tanner's fighting skills. Bryan and Paige uh, gave Sarah the chance to be mean, and she instead laughed. Um, All the judges turned on Gabby for telling off Amanda – and then they all questioned ZZ whether or not his penis was real or not in his outfit. Uh, so the bottom three, Brian picked Daria. Paige said she's going to put Sarah Lee in the bottom three every single week. And Hogan picked ZZ. And But before we got the voting, we got a swerve. Yes, because they had, still had 10, 15 minutes left to go. They announced that each of the three were going to get a chance to redo their entrance before the vote. Um, so Sarah Lee went first she showed more skin this time but showed less emotion and somehow that was what they were going for because uh, the judges loved her Um, ZZ was accused of stuffing the front of his tights but he played to the crowd the whole time and got cheered and so of course he got told off because they are like oh you're uh, not playing to the crowd correctly it's like I don't know anyway Uh, Daria tried to do a routine based on how her generic theme music was, uh, but the whole time she couldn't stop playing with her hair. Uh, she probably, uh, honestly, if they had a chance, they should have switched her with Sarah Lee because Daria just normally looks mean and bitchy, while Sarah's like the sweetest girl on the show. Sarah Lee, honestly, could be the next AJ Lee babyface as the little cute, sweet little baby face that everybody loves. She can't be a heel to save her life, but, you know, who, she doesn't need to be a heel, even though they'll probably turn her the minute that she'd be on the roster. Um, Daria kept going on on that she brings legitimacy to the WWE, so Paige told her off for it, saying that, you know, people like Daniel Bryan and Brock Lesnar, uh, when they get in the ring, they look like they can really kick someone's ass uh zizi said it was a good thing that people laughed and sarah lee sarah lee this is the best sarah lee's like she's not the best she really needs to work on these bottom three interviews because especially if Paige is going to keep putting her in the bottom three every week you know she needs to work on these damn things um and shockingly sarah lee was not the person voted off tonight's loser is daria and in the moment of the year on Tough Enough, uh, as soon, she begins crying. And, like, they've got maybe a minute left before the end of the show. And so Renee runs in, shoves a mic in her face, and immediately asks her about coming out as a lesbian and what the LGBT community has meant for her. So Daria, who's crying because she just got eliminated, she's, like, giving a very generic answer about whatever it is. And so Renee shoved the mic back in her face and asked her about the LGBT community. And Daria gave some generic reply about the LGBT community, and that was it. So that's it for Tough Enough. They did better ratings this week than they have so far. Oh, well. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I think there's 10 weeks of the show. I can't imagine making it all 10 weeks, but, you know, we're going to try. Um... Before we get into PPW, let's have a musical interlude, shall we? What shall I play?
4: That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that.
1: No, there it is. We are going to do Sting. Yeah.
4: Okay, but, but now I can't read it. There's no There's no words on it. Okay. Sure. There's yeah. no words there to play us out. What does that mean? To play us out?
1: Sting it's, it's is going to do it's a video, sting video. Okay. What is? For credit.
4: I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it. Okay. In five. Four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today, and we will leave you with a... I I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away.
1: So Paragon Pro Wrestling debuted on Pop this weekend. Pop is the former TV guide channel. Um, I didn't even realize I had uh, I even had the network um, until Friday, and I decided, yeah, what the hey, I'll. I'll DVR it and watch it later. It airs Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. So, and it's not, you know, it's not even spaced out for the time zone differences. So, in the Central Time Zone, it airs at 5 in the morning. In the Mountain Time Zone, it airs at 4 in the morning. And out in California, it airs at 3 in the morning. No one is watching this show live. But with that in mind, we get the show, and what a show it was! Now, Paragon Pro Wrestling, this is a time buy. They purchased this time from Pop to air their show. I forget how long it's for. Um, I think I think it might just be for six months. I could be wrong. Or it may just be for as long as they keep sending them a check. But I guess we'll find out as the weeks go by. Um, I turn on my DVR. Now, through no fault of PPWs, uh, the first two minutes of my DVR is just commercials. And so I fast-forward to that, and I finally get the opening video package of Paragon Pro Wrestling. And then after that was finished, we got another commercial. Okay, 30 seconds later, we come back and get a second opening video package. Okay. And then we get an entire commercial break. And I'm like, okay, this is an odd opening. We come back from that commercial break And we have a third opening video package. I nearly went through the roof when I started watching this, when that's how the show began. And then it got even better. Because when they finished the third opening video package, wrestlers just started being introduced for no reason. Like, they just start saying, and here's Joey Ryan, here's Gangrel. Here's Tyshawn Prince. He introduced five people, and we got a shot of the announcers, one of whom is Todd Canelli, who was briefly um, in TNA for a while back in 2012, 2013-ish. Um, and he tells us that we're going to have a battle royal. Great. Well, you know what happened before we got to the battle royal? We got a fourth video package. They played four video packages And four minutes of commercials in the first 11 minutes of the show. So I can't imagine anyone sticking around who may have actually been up at 6 in the morning on Saturday morning. So we come back from that video package, and the five people that were introduced before are now joined by about a dozen or so pasty white people in trunks. None of them have any names. They all are small, skinny, look like none of them had tans. At least they all had actual tights, but that's barely a step up. Um, In there, I did see a white guy with an afro. I saw a gangrel. We were told Joey Ryan was in there, but I didn't really make out which one he was. And we got a, a large black man who I thought at first was Ezekiel Jackson, but it wasn't. His name was Tyshawn Prince. And Prince, he went through like a he went through like a house on fire. He eliminated like ten people, and then Gangrel, who's almost fifty years old at this point. In fact, he may be fifty. Um, and Gangrel just tossed him out with no problem. So already you've got this hot young guy, and you know who knows maybe he really sucks. But at least in the two minutes I got to see him on TV, you know I thought, oh my God, this guy's awesome is all hell right? And so they had Gangrel, who is actually 46 years old, I just looked it up, just dumped him out of the ring. Um, And this, and then Gangrel got dumped right away because Prince's manager, the Cuban assassin, hit Gangrel with his cane. Um, There's somebody in there named Darren Corbin, um, and he was eliminated before I could tell you if he was the midget, pasty version of NXT star Baron Corbin. Um, Nameless people got thrown out, and eventually Caleb Connolly won, last shoving Ethan HD in the ass, making Ethan tumble over the top. And this makes Caleb the number one contender to Jesse Sorensen, former TNA broken neck person and current uh, Paragon Pro champion. Uh, The announcers pitched it to a commercial break, but because they filled all their commercial obligations in the first 10 minutes, We never saw another commercial the rest of the show. Um, Instead, we got our next match, Darren Corbin versus Crash Test Cody. Darren looks nothing like Baron. Um, Cody uh, stole Owen Hart's tights when Owen was uh, in the nation, and he had those tights with caution written all over them. Uh, Well, Cody stole them and chunked them down about five sizes, and now he's uh, wearing them here. Um, Cody is either cross eyed or wearing a white contact in one of his eyes, and eventually Corbin won with the diamond cutter, which they called the ginger snap, causing six people to boo. So I guess that made him the heel. And I think uh and out of and by the way, six people, the crowd was made up of about looked like seventy five people. It was in the Samstown Casino in Las Vegas, which I think is where the uh global force wrestling shows are going to be at. So that should be interesting. Um, One of the problems, you could barely hear the announcers most of the time. Um, Not because the crowd was really loud. It was just that they needed to turn the announcers' uh, volume up. Jesse Sorensen called himself the world heavyweight champion of the world. I think he's supposed to be babyface, but it sounded like he was channeling his inner heel Bob Backlund ranting about how he was going to be a champion the fans could be proud of. There was a man with a beard telling himself that he is handsome. Turns out, it's Joey Ryan. And man, Joey Ryan looks different a few years later. Um, He was in his hotel room, and a large-breasted hotel maid brought him towels and forced him to sign for them. I don't know what hotel charges for towels. I just know I'm never going there. We then get the lucha libre match of the night Espiritu versus mercurio junior and the ring announcer nearly wet himself when announcing mercurio junior to the ring like i've i've never heard anyone that excited for anything and i've been to 5 wrestlemanias this match was bad these two there there are a few things worse than green pro wrestlers having a match. It's green pro wrestlers doing lucha libre and then having it on national television, sort of. Um the announcer who is not Todd talked about how in lucha libre wrestling, trying to take off your opponent's mask was the worst thing he could do. Lucha Libre Wrestling, by the way, Mexican wrestling, wrestling. Um To make up for how many moves they were missing, uh, by the way, my favorite was during this match, these two were taking bumps for moves before the other person even did the move. Um, And to make up for all the missed spots, they pulled the WWE and TNA, where they were rapidly changing the camera during moves. Um, One of them gave the other a suplex, and the camera changed four different times during the suplex. We then, of course, got the greatest finish of all time that I hinted at earlier. Esperanto blocked the sunset flip and pulled an Owen Hart to lean forward uh, to get the win, but he was supposed to lean forward and grab the ropes. The only problem is they were out too far, and so Esperanto had to literally let go of uh, Mercurio and lunge forward to grab the ropes, and he was so far past... Mercurio at this point, Mercurio basically had to pin himself um, and I don't even think he was even touching the guy, plus the sound guy uh, played his theme music before the ref had even counted to one Lisa Marie, who's Victoria Tara, whatever you want to call her, came out to, and I got my hopes up I thought Victoria was about to wrestle but nope, instead she introduced her man, Kevin Cross who is Another muscle-bound geek. What's with wrestlers putting Lisa Marie with these big muscle-bound geeks who can barely wrestle? Uh, So Kevin Cross was wrestling Sugar Brown. And Todd Canelli said that the beast beneath your bed and the closet in your head has nothing on this guy. What? Then they talked about how Sugar Brown was a legend in his area. The problem with that is the ring announcer said he was from Vegas, while Todd and not Todd said that he's from Miami. So I don't know what area he's a legend in, but perhaps we should figure things out before next week. Uh, Brown tried to do a standing moonsault at one point, and he torpedoed Cross in the head. Or I'm sorry, he torpedoed Cross in the chest with the top of his head. Um, and Cross eventually won with the Doomsday Saito which is just a fancy name for a back supply. The, uh, the whirlwind gentlemen uh, had a video package for them. They are a dapper duo and manly men and are arriving in two weeks, even though I think that they were the losers in the battle royal. It would be also nice to know what their names were, but alas, that was you know too much information. We then got the main event where Jesse Sorensen Paragon Pro Wrestling champion defended against Graves. And they made the boo-boo of showing Graves walking around the ring and so at one point you could see that the entire one side of the arena is completely empty. And you could the only part that had people in it was just directly across from the hard camera. And they had about 75 people there. Sorensen, of course, is the guy that broke his neck on a live TNA pay-per-view, and Dixie Carter swore up and down that he had a job for life and then fired him a year later. PPW needs a drinking game. If you're going to watch this show regularly, you need to drink. Um, And you need to take a drink when the wrestlers are announced from a fake hometown, like how Graves is from six feet under. And then you need to take a drink every time the announcers use their wheel of cliches, because this whole show is just one horrible cliche after another. And then if you take a drink every time they say, the stakes are high here tonight in Vegas, you may die before the hour is up. The announcer who's not Todd Kennelly told us that the Paragon Pro Wrestling title is the most prestigious championship in wrestling today. I had to press the pause button. That was the most absurd comment I've ever heard in my life. I watched this show Saturday night, and in the prior 48 hours, um, I had watched – actually, I watched it Sunday, because in the prior 48 hours before I watched this, I watched the Kevin Owens-Finn Balor NXT title match, six different title matches on the New Japan show, including AJ versus Okada, Goto versus Nakamura, and the Kingdom vs. the Bullet Club, and several ROH Tag Team title matches on my Haas and Benjamin DVD when they took on the Kings of Wrestling and the Briscoe Brothers. But yes, the Paragon Pro Wrestling title is the most prestigious title in wrestling. And of course, here on the very first episode of Paragon Pro Wrestling, which I think was taped like five months ago, we got a dusty finish. Graves took off the top turnbuckle to distract the referee, and while the referee was distracted, Graves used a rope to choke out Sorensen. When the referee turned back around, Graves put on a chokehold and won the match and the title uh, when the referee turned around to declare Sorensen unconscious. A second ref ran down, and uh, the announcer immediately announced that the match was being restarted, but the referee instead told him that he fucked up, and it was just a reverse decision disqualification. Uh, Jesse was woken up, He's given the belt, and we were threatened that next week he defends the belt against Caleb Connolly. Ultimately, this is an indie show with decent production that's being aired on national television. Watch the show if you can enjoy fourth-level indie wrestling and laugh at it. Don't watch it if you take your wrestling too seriously. The final negative. Let's say that you, the viewer, are not as negative as I am and that you enjoyed this show. In fact, you might have enjoyed it so much that you decided, I want to give Paragon Pro Wrestling some money. I want to buy tickets to their next show. I want to buy some awesome PPW merchandise. Well, my sweet and tender hooligans, they promoted nothing. Nada. They didn't tell you any upcoming dates that you could buy tickets for. They didn't plug their crappy website if they have one. They didn't even plug their crappy merchandise if they have any. As a matter of fact, no wrestler even came out wearing cheesy homemade t-shirts that you could buy from their girlfriend at the concession stand. So, finally, they did 75 people in the casino to tape a show for a time buy on the former TV guide channel and are doing absolutely nothing to make a dollar. I would compare them to TNA except occasionally TNA plugs their website where you can buy merchandise. So that was Paragon Pro Wrestling. And I think I'm out of energy for the night. So next week, Joel Gertner. Next week, Brian's going to be here. And if not, well, he's going to miss out on talking to Joel Gertner. But until next week, I'm Emerson. Take care and have an awesome rest of your week.